This is The Guardian. I'm Laura Murphy-Oates, and this is The Full Story. A new climate activist group has staged a series of protests, obstructing traffic and shutting down major roads in Sydney, including the Sydney Harbour Bridge. This style of protesting is becoming more and more common in the climate movement, but the rise of these protests has come with a backlash. Last week, the New South Wales government passed new laws that could see protesters who block roads, ports or rail spend up to two years in jail. And this has added to what some human rights organisations have called a growing climate of repression in Australia. So who is behind these protests? And what could this backlash mean for the right to protest in Australia? Today the radical new climate groups promising to shut down Australian cities. It's Wednesday, the 13th of April. So it seems like climate protests are really escalating in Australia and they're being conducted by new activist groups that I have never actually heard of before. Where did this all start? Well, I mean, it's a good question because, I mean, in some sense, environmental protests aren't a new thing, but the model for these types of groups have very much been Extinction Rebellion, which is often referred to as XR. Royce Kermilovs is a freelance journalist and author. Uh, this was a movement that began around 2018 in the UK, um, and there's kind of offshoots and branches all over the world, including Extinction Rebellion Australia. Their approach to protest is what's called nonviolent civil disobedience, um, and it's aimed at stopping what they call a mass extinction due to climate change. A lot of the time, these actions involve the obstruction of roads or infrastructure, people physically gluing themselves onto stuff um, and big theatrical performances to try to disrupt what they see as business as usual. Groups like Extinction Rebellion have been growing more ambitious in response to what they see as an emergency, protesting climate inaction through some extreme measures, and particularly in response to a slew of recent reports from the International Energy Agency and the uh, IPCC about where we are at with climate change. Mm. Can you paint a picture for me of what these extreme measures and theatrical protests look like? Yes, I mean, there's been several of these. I mean, in March uh, last year, there was protests around the country um, protesting climate inaction during the pandemic. In one case, protesters in Melbourne chained themselves to machinery and buildings and blocked intersections with coffins and clashed with police. Um, Then Mm. in October last year, ahead of the COP26 uh, meeting in Glasgow, um, Extinction Rebellion protesters uh, glued their feet to roads in Adelaide CPD, causing major traffic delays. And some of the targets included places like the Santos office, uh, which was a major oil and gas company that's responsible for a lot of oil and gas projects across the country. Um, another case, an 80-year-old woman in Canberra superglued herself to Commonwealth Avenue Bridge. But you also see some more of these theatrical performances that are often carried out during these protests. In one case, you had this giant koala puppet, and they held this kind of mock funeral for this puppet that they created uh, in the wake of the you know, Black Summer bushfire. Let me have a look at this koala. You sent me a link to this. Hold on. Is the idea that the koala has been burnt by the bushfires? Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Just to describe this koala, 
It's, you know, furry on top and pretty normal looking other than a quite terrifying look on its face. And then it slowly disintegrates into a skeleton with claw heads. <laughs> it's, it's, it's being held above a whole group of protesters. It's, it's pretty horrifying. But that's the point of, I guess, some of those protests is to create a spectacle, is to disrupt business as usual. Um, and, you know, to make the point that this is happening right now. This is really bad. We need to do something. Right. But the idea is that they're non violent and engage in what's called direct action. Can you just break down that term for me? What does it really mean? Direct action refers to any kind of protest that doesn't essentially rely on negotiation or consultation to affect some sort of change. Mm. And it usually occurs with some things broken down where one side is being ignored. This can be anything like, you know, a stunt, like in the form of holding a mock funeral for a koala that's burning to death in the wake of the bushfires, right up to kind of physically obstructing railway infrastructure to prevent um, coal exports from being able to be shipped out. Right, so as you mentioned, Extinction Rebellion is kind of just the front runner, the more widely known group. What else exists, especially in Australia? Yeah, so I think it's like Extinction Rebellion has acted as a kind of seed for many of these groups. So recently we're seeing kind of the emergence of Fireproof Australia and Floodproof Australia as a splinter group from XR that takes some of the ideas, the sense of direct action, the sense of actually going out there and doing something, risking arrest as part of the protest, um, and then making it uh, more, like more accessible to people, but still disruptive. And I guess what I mean by that is that Fireproof Australia don't tend to hang off buildings or get into elaborate costumes. Their protests usually involve blocking roads by sitting in front of traffic. I'd say it's a splinter group designed to be more disruptive and more accessible in that disruption. I spoke to Fireproof Australian member Violet Coco and she said the reason the protest is so simple is so anyone can join in. But that also means the protests are bigger and more disruptive. All you've got to do is be able to sit down on a road to participate. You don't need to wear a fancy costume. Yeah. Um, and then on top of that, you also have other groups as well. I mean, a- another famous one is Blockade Australia. Blockade is different from Fireproof Australia again in that they are determined to engage in obstruction as a kind of almost a form of sabotage to prevent, again, coal exports or other indust- industrial operations from being able to function smoothly. Right. But all of these groups are still pushing for climate action, correct? Yes, but their goals are clearer and more defined. For instance, part of Extinction Rebellion's uh, pitch is to zero out fossil fuels by 2025 um, and for the declaration of a climate emergency. Now, those things are quite big and they're really abstract and it's really hard for people to kind of grasp all the time. And this is where groups like Fireproof Australia come in who have more immediate, more practical goals. They specifically want three things. They want a, the establishment of an air-based Australian air tanker fleet to kind of combat bushfires. Uh, they want to smoke-proof you know, schools, aged care and disability centres, places where vulnerable people live to stop them from getting uh, hurt by bushfire smoke, um, and they want an immediate plan to rehome flood and fire survivors in the wake of these big catastrophic events that we've been seeing. Right. I hadn't actually heard of Fireproof Australia until the last week or so. They really seems like they've kicked up in action just recently. Can you tell me about that and what type of protests they've conducted? Well, Fireproof Australia itself kind of began cooking around May last year. But it kind of officially launched at Christmas time uh, last year. So this has been in development for some time. And their approach to protests is to declare action periods where they say, all right, in this week, we're going to go out and do various actions to, as part of that kind of week of protests. So in the last few weeks, Fireproof Australia have conducted protests where they've blocked traffic in various Sydney suburbs, particularly around key choke points. 
For example, there's footage where they've blocked a bridge near Manly. The disruption we are causing right now is minuscule in comparison to the disruption of your fridge floating up to the ceiling of your house, which is what has happened to thousands of people across New South Wales. There's also footage of them blocking a road in Lilyfield. And you can see in this footage that four or five people are sitting on the road in the rain, and then police swoop in and drag them off the road. It's been reported they were arrested and later charged. Why are you here? Why are you here? Stop resisting. Why are you here? I'm here because I would never take the risk of becoming just taking And probably one of the most attention-grabbing protests recently has been that the moment when they blocked Sydney Harbour Bridge and the tunnel. They've done this multiple times over the past few months. Right, so Fireproof Australia's approach is more blocking roads rather than large theatrical productions. Uh, What about that other group that you mentioned, Blockade Australia? What's their usual modus operandi there? Yeah, Blockade Australia is different again. Uh, They first formed in November last year. Its first protest was targeting the port of Newcastle, which is the biggest coal port in the world. And it did this by blockading the railway tracks, which allow coal that's been mined to be sent to the port to be then shipped on to wherever it's going. Mm. This, you know, recently in March, they've been back and they've been targeting Port Botany, which is New South Wales' largest container port. And they did so over three days of protests where five people were arrested, including two German nationals. And these were two brothers who have since had their visas cancelled. Hello, everyone. My name's Max. Coming to you live from uh, the top of a crane in the middle of Port Botany. One 26-year-old Blockade Australia activist, Max Kermy, who scaled a 60-metre crane and prevented a ship from being loaded, was sentenced to four months prison. This is, this is part of... Blockade Australia's mobilisation here at Port Botany, where we're using non-violent blockading tactics to put our bodies in the way of the Australian machine. Right, so people are really putting a lot on the line here. They're getting prison sentences, they're having their visa cancelled, but also just physically, you know, risking a lot. Not everyone would really be up for this. I'm wondering why people are drawn to these groups and this type of protest action. Well, I spoke to one member of Fireproof Australia to basically ask that question. Uh, Her name is Sam Newton. She described how it was the re-election of a coalition government in May 2019 that really kind of altered the trajectory of her life in politics. Mm. I didn't really care about politics until then, but then a light bulb went off and I kind of went, well, this is not working. She told me that at first she helped organise climate rallies in her region. These are things like the one-day climate marches that happened. Um, but then Extinction Rebellion caught her attention because she thought this group in particular and kind of their willingness to get arrested and their willingness to make a statement showed that they were taking the catastrophic risk of climate change seriously. I just knew intuitively that this is where I needed to be and that this, these, you know, radical, annoying, disruptive, interfering sort of tactics we're probably our last chance of doing something. And shortly after joining Extinction Rebellion, the Black Summer bushfires swept through New South Wales, Victoria and parts of South Australia. Now, an important thing to know is that Sam is blind, so this was a hugely confronting situation to face for her. She was forced to consider whether she might have to flee her home in the suburb of Dapto, south of Sydney, but she wasn't sure how she could escape. Fires were coming from three directions at some times. 
I was wondering if I could evacuate out of Dapto because we didn't have anyone who could drive a car. A lot of the time the train lines were down. Mm-hmm. And then when Fireproof Australia started their own actions, she decided to join in. I think it was just learning from the people around me and being with a group of people who were on the same page as me, who weren't afraid to put their bodies on the line. They were willing to take the risks. We'd all prefer not to be taking risks, but sometimes you just do what you need to do. What has that been like for her, Royce, protesting, especially when she's blind? Well, you know, whenever these protests are held, there is always a risk of arrest, and many of those who participate have to weigh up the risks for them before they join in. For Sam, when I answered her this question, she said that she believed that the risk was worth it. She understood that, you know, as a, as a blind person, these situations may hold different meaning for her, but for her, there was so much more at stake than whatever risk that she personally faced. Mm. I'm, I'm, you know... Disabled, Sam is blind, she's disabled. Um, It's highly risky for us to be engaging with police. But, you know, we think that it's more dangerous not to act. And so we take that risk. And for instance, she's been involved in several high-profile protests. I'm such a villain. (laughs) In one, she and others glued themselves inside an office to protest the approval of 800 new gas wells. And we were um, four women and one man, all topless and painted in the bushfire flames. And that resulted in her and a few other women involved charged with indecent exposure for having their nipples out. Mm. But not the men. Even though one of the women, uh, she's had a mastectomy, so she's only got one indecent nipple. Um, <laughs> so I didn't seem to give her half a charge for that. But anyway, these are the ridiculous things that we face. She's been arrested quite a few times. But she's never been to jail yet. She's uh, faced court and had a few fines. But when she talks about this, the thing that she says is that... Even if all this fails and we can't save the planet, I, I want to know that I tried. And, and be able to say to my grandkids, I, re- I, I did my best, kids. I did my best at the time. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm. So, Royce, outside of these groups and people like Sam, I mean, how are they viewed by the climate protest movement and by general society, really? So it's important to mention not everyone who supports action on climate change supports these groups and these tactics, and there is a fair bit of conversation about what's appropriate and what's not. Mm. Some commentators who have you know, written and talked about this and who support urban action on climate change um, have criticised direct action as counterproductive, warning that they may alienate the very people who need to be persuaded. For instance, Rebecca Huntley, who was a social researcher, wrote in nine newspapers last month that people who were disengaged, uncertain or sceptical, were less likely to listen to someone who was making it harder for them to get to work. Mm. Uh, She writes that in her research, groups such as Extinction Rebellion come up in conversation in a very negative way and can actually be a barrier to talking about global warming and how climate action might actually improve their lives. Right. Is there an awareness of this amongst these groups, their tactics could alienate people who actually support their their general aims and support climate action. Yeah, there absolutely is. And I asked Violet about this. She said that every other attempt to get governments to act has so far failed. We tried. We tried protesting to the politicians. Um, We've tried one-day marches. And so now we need to escalate to these disruptive tactics. 
And what about governments and those outside of the climate movement? What has been their response to these groups? In Australia, we've seen a fairly consistent, sometimes ugly pushback against these types of groups, both in the media and from various state and federal politicians. You had Peter Dutton, who stated in the past that XR protesters should face mandatory jail sentences and welfare cuts. Mm. When you are acting outside of the law, which these people are doing, mm. you're diverting valuable police resources. I think there should be a price to pay for that. And it's happened in Victoria. Then just last year, when Blockade Australia held its first major action obstructing coal trains in Newcastle, it prompted an attack from then Deputy Prime Minister Barnaby Joyce, who said $60 million in exports had been lost in a single week. I get it when people say I don't like a big hole in the ground. I can understand that. But I'll tell you what, you like the money it brings in. That could have gone to the police, that could have gone to hospitals, that could have gone to your roads and at a state level, and then at a federal level, probably about $15 million worth of income tax. Mm. More recently, the New South Wales protests from groups like Blockhead Australia and Fireproof Australia have triggered a particularly strong backlash. The Blockheads are back. They are now disrupting traffic in Botany Bay. So... Now, this is what the release is anyway, because, of course, they've got their own media department. 2GB host Ben Fordham slammed the government for failing to act on the morons and, quote, idiots protesting in New South Wales. Meanwhile, Sydney tabloid Daily Telegraph also ran a story under the headline, Through the Book at These Blockheads. Basically, they don't care. But now you've got a group of knuckleheads again blocking the Grand Parade in Brighton. Mm. And we saw the New South Wales government uh, spring into action. Next, a crackdown on climate activists in New South Wales and across Australia. What have we seen from the New South Wales government in the wake of these protests? Acting Premier Paul Tall announced crackdowns on climate activists who disrupt operations at Port Botany. And he specifically announced increased punishments for people who blocked bridges or tunnels, which extends a regulation already applied to Sydney's Harbour Bridge. People have the right to free speech. We promote that. But don't do it at the expense of people trying to get to and from work, trying to get their kids to school, stopping people earning a living and a wage. And then last Wednesday... We passed the laws. We'll throw the book at these people because their behaviour is completely unacceptable. There are plenty of ways to protest, but shutting down major infrastructure is not one of them. The New South Wales state government introduced a bill that would do exactly that. It would extend punishments to apply more broadly to road, port and jail infrastructure, and essentially made blocking roads in in the state during a protest a jail-worthy offence. We're not stopping uh, nurses marching in Macquarie Street, assemblies outside Town Hall, assemblies in George Street, Social media, the print, letters to the editor, rallies and stuff. According to my colleague, New South Wales State Correspondent Michael McGowan, the coalition you know, picked this up pretty quickly and, and essentially rushed these laws through. So what could this bill mean for protesters like Sam or Violet, especially because fireproof, that, that's kind of their main thing, blocking roads, right? It means that in New South Wales, anyone who seriously disrupts or obstructs vehicles or pedestrians on a major road or at a major infrastructure facility such as a port or a railway line, could be jailed for up to two years. 
And this is not just a problem for groups like Fireproof Australia or Blockade Australia or kind of these more kind of disruptive protest groups. This is also a problem for pretty much any sorts of protests that takes place where, you know, say, for instance, if more people turn up than their organizers anticipated and the number of people is, you know, much, much larger, if that protest then spills out from a park and then blocks the train station entrance, that then creates an offense under which all, all of those involved, or at least the organizers, can be arrested and charged and potentially fined. Mm. There was, of course, an immediate backlash. Over 40 civil society groups, including the New South Wales and ACT Aboriginal Legal Service and the New South Wales Council for Civil Liberties, branded the hurried legislation a draconian attempt to criminalise the right to protest. Is it unusual to see such harsh penalties imposed for these types of protests? In many ways, this is not unusual. Whenever you have these sorts of disruptive protests, authorities tend to react instinctually and rely on the police to try and stop them from occurring. In this case, however, it seems like you see a raft of new anti-protest laws being passed, not just in New South Wales, but also in places like Queensland and Tasmania. In 2019, in Queensland, you had the introduction of laws that tried to criminalise the use of what the Labor government called dangerous locking devices. Um, these were devices that climate protesters would insert their arms into and then lock so they could not be easily removed and forcing the police to then come and cut them out. Mm. However, you know, when people investigated this, you know, their widespread use could not really be confirmed. Um, in Tasmania, you also had a series of anti-protest laws that were passed in 2014 and they were described then as you know, the toughest anti-protest laws in the country. These were specifically targeting you know, environmental protests who had concerns about old growth forest and all other environmental issues. Um, they tried to ban protests from taking steps that would prevent, hinder or obstruct business activity. Right. Pretty broad there, any sort of business activity. Absolutely. And that kind of goal, obstructing any sort of business activity, is incredibly broad. And these laws were declared unconstitutional. So that's a couple of states where these anti-protest laws have come in. But is there any sort of sense that protesting is becoming harder to do in Australia, definitively? Yeah, when you talk to groups in civil society, activist groups, groups like the Human Rights Law Centre, Greenpeace Australia Pacific, the Environmental Defenders Office, various people, they will all say, anecdotally, they're seeing the same sort of heavy-handed police tactics, the same sort of impulse to rely on kind of repressive anti-protest laws, the same use of force to shut down these protests. And they are deeply concerned by this because they see this as an interruption on what is essentially a basic democratic right. Several of these groups, including the Human Rights Law Centre and Amnesty International, banded together last year and released a report that aimed to highlight what they see as the policing of environmental activists that has become more aggressive in recent years. They described this as a growing climate of repression. So the New South Wales laws are really just the latest crackdown in a series of crackdowns. What type of effects could they have on Fireproof Australia and other direct action climate groups? Well, Fireproof Australia themselves are continuing to protest right now. They've been running a week of actions. They've been getting in the media again for stopping traffic and getting arrested. You know, this is despite these kind of laws being enacted in New South Wales. Mm. Um, Blockade Australia themselves have a series of protests planned for June. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how that plays out in the future. In general, the people I spoke to, at least within these groups, say, well, no, they're not going to be deterred. These people are determined to continue to protest in these ways because they see the stakes as too high, the action too little. And the more we don't deal with the root cause of the problem, which is climate change and everything else that that affects, the more we're going to see people willing to take to the streets. Yeah. 
look, if pissing people off makes them start to talk about this, even if it's negatively to start with, then we have made a good start. Because anger sort of channels into action. I do a lot of this because I'm angry. I am so angry. So yeah, I started this with anger. So I'm not particularly bothered if people are pissed off because I'm blocking their commute to work. If it means that they're having that conversation, for, for better or worse, at work, uh, if it means they're seeing it on the news, it's getting into that zeitgeist. It's getting in the government, you know, that they're now aware that we are around and we're not going anywhere until our demands are met. That was Royce Kermilovs, a freelance journalist and author. For more reporting on the climate crisis, head to theguardian.com, where you can also read Royce's piece titled Fireproof Australia, Who Are the Radical Extinction Rebellion Splinter Group? We've linked to that on the full story page as well. That's it for today. This episode was produced by Jake Morecambe, Joe Koning and Karishma Luthria. Camilla Hannan did the sound design and mixing. The executive producers of Full Story are Miles Martignoni, Gabrielle Jackson and me, Laura Murphy-Oates. If you liked this episode, don't forget to leave a rating or a review. It does help other people find the show. Okay, catch you tomorrow.